Hello church, coming to you today from the backdrop of the Desert Inn in Yeehaw Junction, just a few miles west of Vero Beach proper. Now Yeehaw Junction and the Desert Inn is on the National Register of Historic Sites in the United States. Has been since about 1993. It was constructed in the late 1880s. It was kind of a watering hole for the lumberjacks and the, the cowboys back in the day. Also, frankly, the upper story was a brothel and, uh, until about the 1950s. So as a brothel, there was a lot of adulterating going on, and it serves, therefore, as an appropriate backdrop for the commandment of Jesus that we want to talk about today. Now, just taking a brief step back, we're in a sermon series entitled, Obey Everything. In the Great Commission, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. So we've been mining the Gospel of Matthew for the commandments of Jesus to revisit and make sure that we're obeying. And today, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reiterates the Old Testament commandment, you shall not commit adultery, thus the desert inn. Now I know what some of you may be thinking, you may be thinking, Steve, this is another one of those sermons I could probably take a pass on. Because I've never been to a brothel, I'm not going to go to a brothel, I've never committed adultery, I'm not going to commit adultery. This is really not relevant to me. Okay, well, I get it. And that may be true of a lot of us, not necessarily all of us. It may be true of a lot of us, but just as we saw last week, Jesus has a way of getting beneath the surface issue and getting to the heart of a matter. And he certainly does that in the teaching on adultery today. Once we get deeper into his teaching, we may be singing a different tune about relevance. Now let's get that teaching of Jesus before us from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Let me just say three things about the issue. First, this is a relevant issue. It's a relevant issue. Jesus said, everyone who looks, and quite frankly, that's just about everyone. Sometimes a critic or a skeptic might object to the teaching of Jesus, saying, this is a guy who lived 2,000 years ago. How can this possibly be relevant to me? Or you're teaching from a book that's two to 4,000 years old. I mean, where's the relevance to a 21st century man, a 21st century woman? Well, just because the teaching is old doesn't mean it's not relevant. I did a little research last week on Thursday. I went to the New York Times bestseller list. I looked at the books that are bestsellers right now in the nonfiction category. Let me share with you five of those books. As I do, and I give a little bit of a description, ask yourself the question, how relevant are these current books to my real life? Right, here we go, five titles, very quickly. The number one is Untamed. That's by Glennon Doyle. She is an activist who writes about her journey of listening to her inner voice. And number two is the book Becoming by Michelle Obama. She writes about her journey from south side of Chicago to the White House. Number three, The Rural Diaries by Hilary Burton, an actress. She writes about starting a family and revitalizing a candy store in New York. Number four is the book Incomparable by Brie and Nikki Bella, two sisters 
who are wrestler, professional wrestlers in the WWE. And they write about some of the challenges that they have faced. And then number five is The Mamba Mentality by Kobe Bryant, professional basketball player. He describes the skills and techniques that he uses on the court. Now, these are the top five best-selling books, nonfiction, in America today. This is what America is reading. And I just ask, how relevant is it to you to listen to your inner voice? I hope you're not listening to your inner voice. How relevant is traveling to the White House as either the president or the first lady? Is that going to be you? How relevant is it to revitalize a candy store? How about being a professional wrestler? <laughs> How about learning basketball techniques to play professional basketball in the NBA? Is that really relevant? Now, get back to Jesus. What does Jesus teach about? What does Jesus talk about? He talks about things like anger and contempt and hatred and murder and lust and adultery. I mean, lust and anger, probably the two greatest problems that human beings deal with in our real lives. He gives teaching and instruction on how to effectively deal with these issues. And that speaks to his relevance and his influence historically. I mean, there is a Yale professor of intellectual history. His name is Jaroslav Pelikan, and he wrote this about Jesus. Now, here's, this, is, this is not a preacher. He's a Yale professor of intellectual history, and he writes, Jesus of Nazareth has been the dominant figure in the history of Western culture for 20 centuries. Why is that? That's because Jesus is the smartest man in the room any room, any given time, and in any culture. And today, he's teaching about lust. And it is relevant to all of us. One of the uh, books written on this topic, very popular from a Christian perspective, in 2003 is entitled Every Man's Battle. Now, it's a good book, but I don't mention it for that reason. I mention it because of the title. And the title says it all. This is Every Man's Battle. And because it's Every Man's Battle, it's also Every Woman's Battle. And so we ought not pretend that this doesn't have anything to do with us. It, it is relevant to you who are watching me right now, and it's relevant to me who is watching you. Let me tell you about Brian, who invited his mom over to his apartment for dinner, and she was meeting Stephanie, his roommate, for the first time, which she was glad because she'd been very curious about Stephanie. When she saw how beautiful Stephanie was, she became very suspicious about the nature of their relationship. And Brian sort of read his mom's thoughts, and he said, Mom, don't worry about it. Uh, Stephanie and I, we just have a platonic relationship. We're just roommates here sharing the rent in the apartment. So about a week later, Stephanie came to Brian, and she said, You know, ever since your mom was here for dinner, we have been missing a beautiful, valuable silver gravy ladle. You don't think your mom could have taken it, do you? Brian said, I can't imagine that, but I'll ask her. And so Brian sat down and he, and he typed out an email and he sent it to his mom. Dear mom, we're not saying that you took our gravy ladle. We're not saying you didn't take our gravy ladle. But the fact is, ever since you were here, the gravy ladle has been missing. Love, Brian. About a week later, he got an email back from his mom and said, Dear Brian, 
I'm not saying you are sleeping with Stephanie. I'm not saying you're not sleeping with Stephanie. But the fact is, if Stephanie were sleeping in her own bed, she would have found the gravy ladle by now. Love, Mom. You can't fool Mom. You can't fool God. This is an issue that is ageless and daily. It is ageless. People have always struggled with this. And it's daily. And just because we may still be fighting the battle today that we fought and won yesterday, don't get discouraged about this. That there are some battles that we fight every day. Okay, so it's a relevant issue. Number two, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Jesus said, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, strictly speaking, uh, as you probably know, adultery is when a married person engages in sexual activity with someone who is not his or her spouse. Now, Jesus knew as he was teaching the religious people of his day, and especially the religious leaders, that there were those who considered themselves in a right relationship with others sexually speaking, because they had not committed adultery with them. Just as there were those we studied last week who thought that they were in a right relationship with other men just because they had not murdered them. Just because I haven't murdered you doesn't mean I'm in a right relationship with you. And Jesus know, knew full well that just because, for instance, the Pharisees had followed the letter of the law, thou shalt not commit adultery, that didn't mean that they were in a right relationship with women with whom they had not committed adultery, sexually speaking. He could watch these men. He knew that they would look at women with lustful intent, that they would fantasize about them, and that they had a heart issue that he wanted to convict them of. Fact of the matter was they had all the conditions for adultery in their heart. They just hadn't committed the physical act yet. If the circumstances were right, meaning that they were certain they wouldn't get caught, they would have committed the act of adultery. Kind of like that. There was an old TV show back in the day called Bait Car. Did you ever watch Bait Car? Where the police would go into a high crime area in a big city. Usually there, was a, there were a lot of incidents of Grand Theft Auto. And they would set up a car. They would leave a car there leave the keys in the ignition and make it obvious that there was nobody around that car. And they had set up hidden cameras inside the car, outside the car, and all kinds of switches that they could operate remotely to shut it off or, or lock it down. Then they would sat, sit back and wait. And you would see the time that elapsed on the camera. And usually it was only a few minutes before somebody wandered along, looked over at this car, saw the keys inside, <laughs> and decided to jump in and steal that car. And then we got to watch as they're driving along and the police remotely shut it down, lock the doors and they can't get out. And you get to see all these entertaining reactions of the car thieves. It's, it's kind of entertaining in a perverse sort of way. The thing of, the thing of it was, a lot of these thieves in, in that particular instance did not have a criminal record. They had never been caught stealing cars before, maybe they never had stolen a car before. But it was only because they hadn't had the right opportunity. 
when the opportunity presented itself, we call these crimes of opportunity, they revealed that even though they maybe had not stolen before, they were a thief at heart. And Jesus is saying, person who looks at a woman with lustful intent is an adulterer at heart, even though they may not have committed the act, physically speaking. Peter describes people this way. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. You see, this is violates what God wants from us as men and women of God and disciples of Jesus. We're to look upon each other with love. Agape love desires the best for the other person and works for their best. But when we look at another person with lust, we're not looking them at them as a person, but rather as an object for our pleasure and our gratification. That's why it's called objectifying someone. Uh, last week in the one-year Bible, reading about David and Bathsheba, David on his rooftop, and he looks out and he sees Bathsheba across the way, and she's bathing on her rooftop. And so the Bible says he desired her, he wanted her. He didn't love her. He lusted for her. He didn't know anything about her as a person. He didn't even know her name. He didn't know her character. He didn't know her family of origin. He didn't know that her husband was one of his own loyal soldiers, Uriah. He just saw her as an object for his pleasure. And so, and he used her for that purpose. And then he sent her back, all done. See, that's the very opposite of love. It is lust. It is objectifying another person. God wants us as men to move into other people's lives and initiate and reveal His glory and His will for their good. And God wants us as women, He wants us to be open and receptive to the movement of God and encourage that and encourage the glory and the character of God. And that's simply not happening when we are lusting. So, it's an issue of the heart. It's a relevant issue. And the third thing I want to say is that it's a serious issue. It's a serious issue. Jesus continues, so, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. It says the same thing about the hand. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. Now, obviously, Jesus is not speaking literally here about plucking out our eyes or cutting off our hands. You could pluck out both eyes and cut off all four limbs, and we could still roll around on our stumps blindly and lust. He's using hyperbole here, uh, exaggeration, to drive home his point that this is a serious issue. We have to sometimes take radical measures to get ahead of it and to deal with it. Back in 2003, 28-year-old Aaron Ralston went canyoneering by himself in Blue John Canyon. Didn't tell anybody where he was going. And in the course of his hike, he dislodged a small boulder that crushed and pinned his right forearm to a canyon wall. And so he was stuck there. And over the next five days, he sipped his water until it was all gone. And he knew at that point that he was going to die. So he decided to cut off his arm. 
And what he did, he took a chalk stone and he leveraged it so that he broke that big, thick ulna bone in his forearm. He had a multi-use tool with him, and so he, he took the knife part of it and he cut away the skin. He cut through the big nerve that travels through the forearm. He said he never felt pain like that before. And then he took the pliers to, to shear away the flesh and the hard tendons that are in there and freed himself from that boulder. Then he rappelled down a sheer 75-foot cliff wall and he hiked out of Blue John Canyon in the midday heat. Pretty tough dude. <laughs> but why did, he, why did he do that? Why would somebody cut off their own arm? All the pain that's involved with that? Well, the answer is obvious. It was a matter of life and death for him. He was going to die if he didn't do that. Why would Jesus use such radical language to pluck out your eye and cut off your hand? Because it's a matter of life and death. In fact, Jesus positions this as a matter of eternal life and death. He said, we've got to get ahead of this thing because you, you want to go to heaven and you don't want to go to hell. Now, what can we do to get ahead of this temptation, to have victory over this temptation? Jesus doesn't give us a long list of things, and I'm not going to give us a long list of things. I'm just going to suggest two things. Number one, let's remember we're covenant people. When we enter into salvation with God, we're in a covenant with God. It's like an agreement or a contract with a spiritual dimension to it. And we're saved by God who calls us to a very holy standard, look upon others as people and not with lust in our eyes. And if we're married then we also are in a marriage covenant with another person, and to look upon someone else with lust is to break that covenant with our marriage partner. But I want to read to you Job 31.1, and he had a kind of a different kind of covenant. Job writes, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a young woman with lust. A covenant with my eyes. Now, the accountability software Covenant Eyes takes its name from that verse, a covenant with my eyes. I haven't said anything about pornography so far, but obviously pornography is in the mix. And it's a, it's a problem. I mean, it's, I could cite a lot of statistics that would be dramatically impress us with how many people are caught up in pornography. I'm not going to. I don't really think we need convincing. But the stats tell us that most guys and a lot of gals are watching pornography and that many are addicted. In fact, it only takes about three days of watching pornography, and that's not binge watching, but about three days to become addicted. So there are some who are watching and, and can't seem to stop. Well, Covenant Eyes is a great technological tool that we have to help us. Most of this watching is taking place on the internet. It just is. And so we're watching on our cell phones, on our laptops, on our computers, on our tablets, and on our TVs. Covenant Eyes is a software that we can subscribe to for a nominal monthly subscription and then download this accountability software onto our electronic devices. And it monitors our internet activity and then sends a weekly report to the people that we have identified as our allies. We've gone to them and say, hey, I want you to help me have integrity, sexual integrity in this area and receive these reports. 
And so they receive the reports that tell them whether or not we've had integrity or we have not had integrity. I'm a big fan of covenant eyes. I'm a big fan of the one-year Bible, and I'm a big fan of covenant eyes. I think everybody ought to have this accountability software. Why, why wouldn't we want to? If we have children in our household, middle school, high school, teenage children, and they have cell phones or laptops and computers, and they do, why wouldn't we want that for them? The same author who wrote Every Man's Battle has written companion books, Every Young Man's Battle, Every Young Woman's Battle, and handing them a cell phone, we've handed them a Pandora's box of sexual temptation. Why wouldn't we want to help them out with that by building in some accountability? So I, I highly recommend this, just, just one suggestion, that takes this, this hot bed of lust, the internet, off the table for us as a temptation. Now, and then the, set, the only other thing I want to say is that we want to make sure that once we get control in this area and we're no longer lusting, that we are filling the God-shaped hole in our hearts with God. I mean, that's, what's, that's really what's leading us to lust in the first place or, or any kind, other kind of addiction, whether it's, it's an eating addiction or it's a shopping addiction or it's binge watching on television or binge playing of video games or whether it's cutting or whatever it may be. We're trying to medicate the pain in our lives and fill the hole in our hearts that only God can fill. John Eldridge writes, God tells us to love him with all our hearts. It's not a burden, but a rescue, a trail out of the jungles of desire. When we don't look for God as our true life, our desire for him spills over into our other desires giving them an ultimacy and urgency they were never intended to bear. We become desperate, grasping and worrying over all kinds of things, and once we get them, they end up ruling us. It's the difference between needs and wants. All we truly need is God. Prone to wander from Him, we find all sorts of other things that we need. Our desire becomes insatiable because We've taken our longing for the infinite and placed it upon the finite things. God saves us from the whole mess by turning our hearts back to Him. The Desert Inn, ironically, back in December, was crashed into by a tractor-trailer semi-truck. Destroyed it. When they pulled that truck out, it left a huge gaping hole. When we manage to get the lust out of our lives, there's still going to be a huge gaping hole that we need to make sure we're filling with God. Somebody has said, every man who rings the bell at the brothel is subconsciously searching for God. When Jesus said, when anyone looks at a woman, the word that he used there in the original language is gune. According to Eastman's Bible Dictionary, that word gune, it doesn't mean just woman. 
it, it includes the connotation of respect and courtesy. This is the word that Jesus used with his mother in John chapter 2, the wedding of Cana. And she came to him asking for help. And he turned to her and he said, dear woman. Right, that's the New Living Translation. And I think they get that right because they're trying to translate the connotation of gune, dear woman. It's the word that Jesus used when he encountered the Samaritan woman at the well, and it was just the two of them, and they're talking about spiritual things, and Jesus says to her, Dear woman. And he looked at her, and she looked into his eyes. And when she looked into his eyes, she did not see eyes that were full of adultery, insatiable for sin. She saw the eyes of God, who saw her as one of his daughters, created in his image, who loved her. And Jesus saw that she'd been looking for love and for God in all the wrong places. I mean, she was sexually broken. Every other man she knew undoubtedly looked at her with lust in his eyes. I mean, she'd been married and divorced five times, and she's, she was living in, in an immoral relationship even then. And Jesus knew what she really was looking for. And he said, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for living water. And I would give it to you. And when you drank it, you would never thirst again. And she knew that was the truth. We're all looking for living water. We take the energy and the time that we put into the pursuit of lust, and we put that energy and time into the pursuit of God. Don't lust. Love. Be loved by God and love God and love others. Our Father in heaven, like the woman at the well, we are thirsty. And we lift our cups to you. And we ask you to fill our cups. Fill them up. And quench the thirsting in our souls. We come to you as the bread of heaven. And we ask that you feed us until we want no more. Fill our cups. We lift them up and make us whole. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.